0: I always ask my kids if I can post a picture of them or even just on my Instagram stories before I share. And I think that's really important, but also just keeping in mind that some of these newer technologies could really be used nefariously. And so we have to remember that.
1: Hi,
2: I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode,
1: we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And Welcome to the show. Hi, Maria. Hey, Shelly. Do you remember before we were moms when we would be like, my kid's never going to watch TV? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Yeah. Or they're only going to watch it like a little bit. There's going to be like limited screen time and all mm-hmm. that. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, this week we are interviewing Andrea Davis all about the impact of screen time on kids.
2: I don't want to (laughs) know.
1: It's a little too late for us. For any expecting or new parents out there, this would be good information to have. Because if you're going to make a decision on screen time, at least go in making an educated decision.
2: Yes? Yeah, yes. Be educated, know all of your facts, and then tell them that they can watch TV. (laughs) Um, I
1: came across an article today and The title is Patterned Milk Formulas for Toddlers Are Lacking in Nutrients, warns the American Academy of Pediatrics. Shocking. I know. I know this is like not a surprise to professionals, but for parents, this might be new. It's all marketing. Your toddler doesn't need a toddler formula. It's all marketing to begin with. And now they're showing that it's not even that great nutrition.
2: Yeah. Like, you know, after the age of one, they don't really need to be drinking
1: formula. Right. Yeah. Just to keep you buying formula products and putting money in their pockets. Yeah. But according to the AAP, these toddler beverages have been criticized as having components considered to be unnecessary or potentially detrimental, including high or low protein
2: levels, high sodium content, and added sweeteners. Wow, formula has to have added sweetener to it. Mm. Otherwise, it would taste like garbage.
1: Listen, then keep in mind if you're thinking about whether or not you want to use toddler formula. Probably not a good idea. (laughs) And next, let's do our question of the week. This week's question was submitted through Instagram. And if you would like to submit a question for us to answer, you can do so at Shelly Taft IPCLC is my Instagram handle. And you can just DM it to me. This week's question is, my baby's getting
2: well, but when I pump, I get very little milk. Help. Uh, <laughs> that's a very nuanced question. Are you pumping after the baby feeds? In which case, that would be normal for you to be getting very little milk. Are you using the right size flanges when you pump? Mm-hmm. That can make a huge impact on how much milk you pump. Do your breasts feel soft after you're pumping or do they still feel full? Like what's going on? There's too many unanswered questions here.
1: Mm -hmm. But starting with the flange size and the pump settings is a good place to start because that can definitely impact how much you are able to pump.
2: Maybe let's have a comparison of what to actually expect because we all know that there's actual low milk supply and then perceived low milk supply because Mm -hmm. the internet is a terrible place that shows us false pictures. So after breastfeeding your baby, if you were pumping, I would expect you to get anywhere from like a half an ounce to maybe an ounce and a half to two ounces. That would be on the high end. If you were exclusively pumping, I would expect you to have anywhere from two to four ounces. And that's combined. So like both breasts together, you combine your milk and you get two to four ounces. Average is around three ounces. So if you use those numbers to compare what you are getting, you can maybe give yourself a little bit of grace and realize you're probably pumping an okay amount. Mm
1: -hmm. And let's say if this parent is getting less than the numbers and guidelines that you just stated, but the baby's getting well, that means you're having trouble letting down for the pump, most likely. Right because it's not a milk supply issue because if it was, your baby wouldn't be getting weight. So if your baby's chonky with like rolls on top of their rolls, but when you pump, you get very little, you know, I would probably do some activities that reduce your level of stress When you start pumping, if you're sitting there staring at the bottles, like, why isn't milk coming out? That's going to inhibit your oxytocin release, which is going to keep milk from flowing. So, putting baby socks on the bottles if you have to, so that you can't see how much you're pumping while you pump, playing relaxing music, doing some deep breathing applying warmth to your breast um, before you start pumping. Those are all things that can help get the milk flowing. Anything that's going to help oxytocin release in your body will help your milk flow. A lot of research has shown that eating dark chocolate before pumping can release oxytocin in your body and help with milk flow too. But like Maria said, if you're getting the amounts she mentioned and your breasts feel soft after you're pumping, that's normal. Everything that I talked about has is more like you pump and your breasts don't get softer. You can still feel that your breasts are really full. The milk's just not coming out.
2: Yeah. Like maybe you're only getting drops. Mm-hmm.
1: And you can always book a pumping consult with an IPCLC.
2: And
1: next up, we will be speaking with Andrea Davis. This week, we are speaking with Andrea Davis, Better Screen Time, all about screen time and the impact that it has on children and what families can do to avoid the negative impact of screen time on their children. Andrea Davis is a former secondary ed teacher turned screen time navigator. She is the founder of Better Screen Time, where she shares family-tested ideas from the tech trenches as a mom of five. She is on a mission to help parents worry less about tech and connect more with their kids. Andrea is the author of the book Creating a Tech Healthy Family and is certified by the Digital Wellness Institute. Andrea and her husband, Tyler, live in beautiful Hood River, Oregon, where they love spending time outdoors as a family. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this really important topic. I'm excited to be here, Shelley. Can you tell us about yourself, um, share some background on your journey and what inspired you to start Better Screen Time and write your book, Creating a Tech Healthy Family?
0: Yes. So years ago, we were the family that put our TV in the closet and we would just pull it out for like family movie night and the Olympics. And we worked really hard to keep screens from taking over our family. And then fast forward years later... We moved from Illinois to Oregon, where we now live, and our oldest was 12. She was the ultimate oldest child, super responsible. She was the kind of kid that cleaned her room without being asked. And we handed over an abandoned smartphone to her so she could stay in touch with these friends that she left behind. And so we could keep, we could get in touch with her in a place where we didn't know anyone. Well, fast forward a few months later, and she came home from school one day and she's having her after school snack she was spooning some cereal into her mouth with one hand with her spoon like this and then she was doing this with the other hand scrolling mm-hmm. and i had one of those moments where i just thought what what have we done and i realized that we you know we used to have these conversations like how was your day and suddenly the phone was getting in the way and several experiences after that where i just learned that it was too much too soon. And so my lesson really was that we needed to slow down. And I felt that other parents really needed this information as well. It wasn't something, again, this was what, six to seven years ago, not something that people were talking about as much. And so I started Better Screen Time. I have, you know, five children and that was my oldest who's now in college and it's just been amazing to see kind of that transformation we went back to a brick phone it was super painful and then we took things more slowly and yes she eventually did get a smartphone again but it was you know much later with a lot of education and training and so now i just make it my goal to help parents worry less about tech and connect more with their kids
1: and if you backtrack even further you said that you were the family who hid your TV in a closet and only took it uh-huh. out. So what What made you decide to do that?
0: Yeah, interesting story behind that as well. I, my, We were at grad school at the time. My husband was getting his PhD at Purdue. And I had a good friend who was an amazing reader. And I just asked her one day, I said, Rachel, what did your parents do to instill this love of reading? Even though I love to read, but she took it to a whole nother level. And she said, "You know, we didn't have a TV growing up. And I was like, oh, fascinating. And I was just kind of intrigued. And I didn't feel that I wanted to get rid of our TV completely. But I really did want to raise readers. And so I just went home and I told, asked my husband, Tyler, I'm like, what do you think if we just put the TV in the closet and we just pull it out when we want to use it? It's almost like an appliance. And he was on board, and he's not into sports, so that was a little easier sell. I know that that wouldn't go over in some homes, But we just did it. And now it's crazy. But here we are all these years later. and that's still what we do. We actually don't even have a TV. We just have a projector now, and so we just pull that out when we do family movie night and such. So although, you know, it's it's changed because really the TV is the least of everyone's concerns, right? Because we have portable devices. But for a long time, that really was, a great way for my kids to just spend time outside and to learn to love reading. And those were all the things
1: that were important to me. So, yeah. I definitely think it was more balanced when, like, when I was growing up, we had a TV and a VCR because that's how how old this was. And we would have, you know, usually on Friday nights, we'd go to Blockbuster and rent the movie. Yeah, But it was also a lot of my mom yelling at us to go outside. And not come home <laughs> until dinner. we lived on this small dead end street with a lot of kids. And we would just bike up and down the street and have a lot of fun. And of course, like you mentioned, we don't have a phone in right. my pocket constantly to distract me. Yeah. And even though I did have a TV in my house and I would watch TV, I was a very, very avid reader and still am. Um, yeah. Just because I felt well, like books took me to an even better place. Yes. Than the TV shows could.
0: Yeah. Well, in TV, it's just, you know, it's evolved a lot, right? There was a time, you know, when, when I was growing up, it was like we had three or four stations and then when something, your favorite show came on at a certain time and then you turned it off and you walked away and you went and, you know, read your book or you did other things. And so that's what we're finding with the technology that we're using today. It lacks what we call stopping cues which are just those cues to tell us that it's time to get off, time to stop scrolling, time to stop clicking. And the technology we
1: use now does not have that. So it's much trickier. Now it's just binge watch. So before you know it, you've been watching the same show for like 12 hours straight. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How does excessive screen time impact young children's development? And I guess we should define what exactly is excessive screen time.
0: Yes. So I think most people use the standards from the American Academy of Pediatrics and they talk about, you know, like basically, you know, depending on, excuse me, what age groups you're talking about, but really that zero to two, it's more like, okay, the best time type of screen time is like FaceTime, like FaceTiming with grandparents or something like that. And then the ages like two to five. You know, they say no more than an hour a day, but really an hour can for some kids is excessive and then for other kids, you know, that might be just right. So I think it's really important as a parent to know your kids and also in just being, being mindful and paying attention to how is the screen affecting them? You know, is their behavior different or their mood different after they've been watching for an hour Then an hour is too long? That's excessive for your child. Or did they seem to be able to move on to another activity fine, you know, after having that screen time? And I think it, especially too if we're talking about littles, it's very important to distinguish it between the different types of screen time because again, going back to when my older kids were little, touch screens were just starting to come out, so it wasn't really so much of a thing. Whereas with my younger kids, portable screens, touch screens were everywhere and are everywhere now. But it's fascinating that when we look at the science behind that, that the touch screens that are more what we would call interactive screens actually spike dopamine in the brain more than just watching television. And so it seems backward because we think, oh, there's all these educational apps and things on these portable devices, but they're actually hijacking the brain in a way that you know our non-interactive screens didn't used to. So I think it's being mindful not only of how much time are we spending, but what is the type of content that our kids are viewing. And not only is it appropriate, but is it increasing dopamine in the brain? Is it making them want to come back for more, not want to get off? And so I think as a parent, you can also be mindful not only of the time, but, you know, after my kid watches this show, this certain show after an hour, is their behavior or their mood different than you know, it is otherwise. And so that can kind of help us to pull the reins back a little bit when we find that they're getting too much. And then it's interesting as kids get older, there aren't as many guidelines. It's basically looking at is everything in their life in balance. So are they getting, you know, proper exercise? Are they getting time outside? Are they getting face-to-face time with real people, Um, are they getting nutrition? Are they getting enough sleep? That's something really huge that's affecting teenagers, especially as they're taking devices into bedrooms and using devices for homework and all of these things. There's just really making sure that our lives are in balance and that we're not missing opportunities to, to live life. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. I think it gets really, really, especially tricky I would even say dangerous when it comes to social media, too, which is. Oh, for sure. I'm sure we could do an entire episode just on the impact of social media on kids and their self esteem. And I think one of the dangers that a lot of people don't talk about with social media is when we were growing up, we were not presented with as much information that our kids are presented with on social media. For sure. A lot of children don't have critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. And it makes it harder for them to determine, like, what they're being told is it true, is it fact, or is it a lie, or whatnot? And so you can get all these certain beliefs about the world, and people, and current events that are not true, but you just believe them because you know the the cool person on TikTok um, with the nice hair told you that it's true. Kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So true. So for under the age 2 if i remember correctly the AAP recommends zero screens is that mm-hmm. correct okay yeah that's what i'm remembering
0: i mean they talk about face timing with family as kind mm-hmm. of a different kind of screen time and that that's okay but yeah really
1: limiting that for young young
0: little kids for sure
1: and so for little kids that are under 2 what do the what does the research show how it impacts them Physically or psychologically, we've, we've talked about like not having enough balance, not getting outside, not seeing people face to face. But is there any other side effects, quote unquote, that children as young as two can experience from being on screens?
0: Yeah, well, for those really, I mean, basically babies and toddlers, they're developing an attachment to certain people or things, and it's really important that they develop a healthy attachment to a parent. and that you know, there's studies that confirm over and over again that that healthy attachment to a parent is something that will benefit them for their life, their lifetime. They need that security, they need that connection. they need, um, you know, not only the face-to-face interaction, but also just that f- physical touch, And of course, they're learning through those cues when they're talking, you know, a parent is talking to them, they're getting those nonverbal and verbal cues of how to interact with the world and how to talk. Like, There's definitely research showing developmental delays in speech and other type of development when, you know, if really young children are spending a lot of time on screens, so I always say that while technology has changed, what kids need has not. And that that's so true. Like child development has not changed. And so that's, we don't want screens raising our kids.
1: <laughs> does the research show, and this is not necessarily for kids to an under, but in general, does the research show that if you are watching screens with parents, the negative impact is less like a movie night, a family movie yeah, night? Yeah, definitely. Yes.
0: They always say that co-viewing is the best kind of screen time. So a family movie night, again, you're have the shared experience, you're all together, you have the opportunity to talk about what happened, you know, either before or, you know, after the movie, that's definitely the, the best type of screen time.
1: Are there some key signs? I think you touched on a couple of them, like changes in behavior. But are there other key signs that parents should look for, especially with very young children, to determine if their child's screen time is becoming problematic?
0: Yes. If it's like the first thing that your kid is asking for when they wake up, that's a problem. We don't want the screen to be the dangling carrot or the be all end all the thing that your kids just like living for right because there's we all know there's so much more to life so just really thinking okay is that screen time replacing other activities that they love or that they used to enjoy and maybe they're not doing those things as much as they used to So, you know, yeah. Are they asking for it a lot? Is it replacing other activities? Um, Do they seem, yeah, just more moody or are they throwing a lot of tantrums? And I always say tech tantrums like can happen with little kids and big kids. It just looks different with between a teenager and a toddler, but there's still, it still happens, right? And it's just, they're getting those rewards, those uh, pleasure seeking rewards that can, it just come so easily on a screen. And the real world is a lot more challenging. It's a lot harder, right? It pushes us to do hard things and to have to be resilient. And so I think just paying attention, like is my kid avoiding doing hard things or learning new skills in favor of always wanting to be on a screen,
1: then that's a problem. Yes, I agree with that for sure. There have been some... Or this is an argument that I've heard, I guess, from people who acknowledge that excessive screen time is an issue, but don't believe that screen time should be taken away completely. But one argument that I've heard is the technology gap. So if you never let your toddler play with like an iPad or whatever, then when they need to use it for school, they won't, they'll fall behind because they won't understand how to use it. Because my kids, all of their homework is done online and submitted online and they all have the Chromebooks from school. So that's mm-hmm. one argument that I'd be interested in hearing your opinion on. And then the other argument is there are, I guess there was a study, I, I remember, maybe this was like five years ago, maybe even further back, where it showed that the study focused on Sesame Street specifically on how children who watched Sesame Street were less behind in school than children who didn't watch it at home. And they talked a lot about like, social and economic issues too, and which families, you know, because if you don't, if you're working three jobs and you're a single mom and you don't have the time to sit down and like go over numbers with your kid, then maybe watching Sesame Street can help them learn their numbers before they head into like kindergarten or whatever. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are on those two arguments because those are the arguments that I hear the most when people kind of give pushback against cutting back on screens.
0: Yeah, so to address the first one, We have to remember that screens today are super intuitive, which means anyone can figure out how to use them very easily, especially kids. So I don't think there is no danger in our kids not learning how to use the technology that's available. And there's so much benefit to them learning to use it at the right time. Basically, as we discussed earlier... That there's a time and a place and we want to let our kids develop in a natural way and develop human interaction and communication skills and resiliency skills and all those things. Those are the foundation for a healthy life. And when they have those skills in place, they'll be able to bring that foundation to the digital world when the time is right. And so they'll be much more well-versed in communicating kindly and, you know, not cyberbullying, and knowing what to do in these hard situations, but also just using the tech itself. Again, it's really not complicated. And we have to remember that like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, these people that have led giant tech companies, like they weren't using any of this technology when they were kids. And so I think it's just a myth that we've convinced ourselves that, oh my goodness, our kids have to learn how to use this tech when they're little, or they're just going to fail in life. And they're just not because they'll they'll figure it out and they'll learn. And again, it is present if your kids go to public school in most schools. And um, so they'll have those opportunities there when the time's right. But in my opinion, we've definitely pushed too much too soon. And I just think again, I have a little different perspective because I have five kids, and I've raised kids pre touch screens, and then also in this era of touch screens, and it's just incredible the the difference between I think kids' ability to be able to they have just have a good attention span and again to be resilient and to want to do hard things. So that's you know my thoughts on that. And then also just talking about, like you were talking about Sesame Street, and I'm not familiar with that specific study necessarily, but for sure, if there's educational programming, of course, Sesame Street's from my era and I watched it, it's quality programming. And that's the, again, that's when it comes down to paying attention to the con, the type of content that kids are viewing. It's a huge difference between watching a Sesame Street episode about the alphabet that's got appropriate music and scene changes aren't changing like super rapidly compared to like watching a TikTok video, right? That might even be about the APCs or YouTube kids or something. But the thing was with Sesame Street is that it was educational. It used... um you know, it just was built on good values and a good foundation. Mm-hmm. And so for sure, like kids can, can learn from that. But I think the best kind of learning happens when yes, maybe they view that, but then as a parent, how can I step in and support or add to what maybe, you know, a child learned on Sesame Street? How can we just practice our ABCs while we're making dinner or unloading the dishwasher or folding the laundry or whatever, right? Because the mm-hmm. best learning definitely comes face to face with a parent.
1: Yeah. I agree. And it's very, and it's very different than the shows that my kids that were on when my kids were growing up, because, you know, Sesame Street, I know it sounds silly because they use Muppets and everything, but it's more of a realistic portrayal of our society versus if you watch certain other shows, you know, they have turned children's programming into just wanting to attract their attention, right? right? So all the characters use high-pitched voices. It's very exciting. <laughs> and the scenes change really fast and really fast, like you said, yes. just like on TikTok videos. And there's no time to like, I feel like there's no time to slow down for the, the kids to slow down and actually process whatever educational lessons there can be had from the programming where Sesame Street was much slower and this is our neighborhood and this is what we're learning. And yes, there's Muppets to attract the kids, but they're not all using these high-pitched, super yes. annoying, to me, sounds like <laughs> nails on a chalkboard <laughs> voices. <laughs> yes. And I remember I had hyperemesis during my pregnancy. So every anytime I was pregnant, my kids did watch more TV because I, yeah. if I moved, I puked. And I remember my my oldest, when I was pregnant with my second, watched a lot of door. And then she started to talk like this. And that's when I was like, oh my goodness, no, we're we're cutting that off. If you're going to start <laughs> using that same tone and inflection, I'm going to go insane.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 And I think you brought up a good point too, that there's times and seasons when a parent may need to rely on, you know, screens a little bit more. But again, like being mindful of what is the, the content that my child's watching And are there other resources that I can use during this crazy season? You know, so yes, we might watch screens more than normal, but what other things can I put in my tool belt to, to help me, whether that's relying on a friend to watch my kids or letting them make a mess with the Play-Doh or whatever that is. But I think it's just, yeah, being gentle with yourself, but also exploring all your options.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And I love that you said that like there are seasons. So, you know, when I was sick, we would watch more TV. But then Mm -hmm. the week after, when I was feeling better, we would spend almost all day outside every day Mm. and barely watch the TV. So I think, like you said, balance is important. Yeah. What are some other healthier alternatives for keeping young children engaged and learning without screens? And this is specifically more for parents who are overwhelmed and can't sit down and read a book at that time. young children that need to be entertained, Mm -hmm. but it's just not possible at that moment for the parent to be directly involved.
0: Yeah. Well, we've done a lot of audio books in our house and that's really great. And there's a lot of different options, but honestly, you can get like a cheap CD player on Walmart, you know, or from Amazon that's like 20 or 30 bucks. And they have these great, if you're into Disney, they have like Disney books with CDs That are pretty inexpensive. They're maybe like seven dollars. And so that's what I used to do with my older kids. Now my youngest has something called a Yoto player, which is a screen-free player, and it just has these little cards that go in it and it plays stories. And she will often read along with the book. Like so she's she's nine already, so she's Mm -hmm. doing chapter books. So she will listen and follow along with the chapter book. But for younger kids, totally. Like just letting them fall along with a book with an audiobook is great. Or just turning on some nice music while you get out Legos or Play Doh. Uh, you know, a lot of times if I was working in the kitchen, I would fill up the sink with water and put some just soap in there, let it the bubbles come in and just throw in the measuring cups and, you know, all the safe plastic things, right? That mm-hmm. that your kids can play with. And I think it's just a matter of deciding that we want to spend most of our life doing these other things where we're learning and we're interacting um we actually have a list on our website it's called a better babysitter that is a list of like screen-free easy activities for parents with younger children so that's something yeah your audience might be interested in and and that's what I like to think. Like, what's, yes, the screen time can be a babysitter, but what's a better babysitter? Mm-hmm. And I think too, like when you are in a season where you're feeling pretty good, like you're high on energy, you have good help, maybe you have some extra support, like grandparents around or just a spouse or partner, then taking some time to almost like build up that cabinet of things that your kids can do, whether that's art supplies or, you know, audio books or different things so that. When it is time to make dinner or you do go through a rough patch and you're sick or, you know, you have a family emergency, then you've just kind of got some things on hand that you can pull out and turn to on those crazy days.
1: <laughs> Love that. Yeah. For my kids, we we listen to in the car. I never had my kids like I would never hand them an iPad or anything if we were going on a car ride. Instead, I tune into it like a kid's podcast. There are so many kids podcasts. Yeah. A lot of them are like really like stories that I would get into too. Yes. And then there was a couple like science ones that every episode was like a different science topic and my kids loved it. They kept yeah. quiet in the car, we would talk about it. The other thing that I remember, and I didn't think of this, it was a friend who created these little bags for me, for my kids and she dropped them off when I was sick, where it was like a brown paper lunch sack and inside the sack was a small craft. So it would have everything that they needed including the glue to make the craft and then like um, directions on how to make it in pictures because my kids were so little, they weren't really reading yet. Right. Simple things like here's how to make a clown out of popsicle sticks, right? So here's some small puffy balls for the costume or whatever and some red yarn for the wick and I could just like give them the bag, sit them at the table. They could figure out how to do it. And if they didn't want to follow the directions and just glued sticks all over each other in weird <laughs> yes. ways, it's fine too. And I could lay down and try not to puke. And yes, it would be a mess. That's awesome. And I think that's part of the thing too, is like accepting that if you're not using the TV as a babysitter, your kids might make a mess and that's okay. Yeah,
0: totally. Like your life Being is messy. Okay with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how they learn, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Totally agree. Yep. And they could help clean up after. If you need to. That too. Yes. <laughs> so if, if we have a family that's listening and they decide that they want to implement limited screen time or no screen time, what are some practical strategies that they can, how they can do this without causing conflicts or tantrums, especially with like little kids who are just used to being able to watch the iPad whenever they want?
0: Yes. Well, you know, depending on the ages of your kids, but if you have like kids four and five and up, I always recommend creating a family tech plan, which we have a quick guide on our website. It's just called quick guide to creating a family tech plan. And essentially, it's just a conversation you sit down and have with your kids and let them help you create the boundaries. So we talk about where will we use screens? What will we do on them for how long, you know, where, when, what, how long? And that can be really helpful because the kids can kind of see that they get to be part of the solution. And before we even go there, we actually started with a conversation with our kids about we made a thumbs up and a thumbs down list. So we said, okay, what are the things that we love about tech? Thumbs down, what are the things that we need to watch out for when it comes to tech? And we made a long list. And I think that's really helpful because then you're letting your kids know that, yeah, tech isn't necessarily just all bad or all good. There's good parts, there's bad parts. We have to learn to choose, right? But but that's a process. And so we need our parents to help us along the way. And so creating that family tech plan gives you some boundaries. We print it out, put it on the fridge. So then as conversations come up and requests come up, then we just say, remember, we talked about this. We decided, you know, we're just gonna do screens on Friday afternoon for an hour or whatever. And I found that with young kids really having some good limits, just as far as like making it very routine is the best way. So if you have like maybe a certain day of the week and they a certain time of day, like it's after school or it's at this time, that's really easiest because then they're not begging the rest of the time. And then you still, you're not just completely shunning it. I will also say with younger kids, you just have a lot of control over the situation And so if you feel like the screens have taken over, you can just simply say, you know what? We are just using screens way too much. And I've noticed that we used to always do a family game night, but we never do anymore because everybody always is just on their screens. So we're going to take a break from the screens. And as a parent, you can totally put those away, put them in the closet, just You know, put them away and it will be hard for the first week, maybe two weeks. But after a while, especially if you're providing an environment that has all these other fun options and things to do, your kids will eventually quit asking and they'll, you'll build a new life around the things that matter to you. Mm -hmm. And I've watched that with my kids where it's just, I have a son that's really into birding right now and he's 12. And, you know, it just does my heart good that like, that's what he chooses to do over video gaming. And I'm not saying that like, oh, you know, gaming's horrible or that anybody that games is bad, but it's just not what, you know, it's not how we've decided to spend our time. And so he found something else that he loves and that he likes to go get outside and do. And, you know, I think every family can can make that decision for themselves. Like what, what amount of screen time feels right for you? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I love those tips. And I think it's especially important, like you said, to have other options available, because if you have a young child that's just really used to coming home from daycare or preschool or whatnot and sitting in front of the TV, if you get home with that child and you're just "Well, we're not going to do that anymore, but don't offer an alternative, I bet that can feel very abrupt and confusing for a young child versus saying we're not going to watch TV, but let's sit down and read a book or color or whatnot.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they might need at that age, your child, again, I think it's great to have the conversation ahead of time, like not just throwing it at them in the moment, but like talking about ahead of time so they can kind of mentally prepare. But then also when it comes to that time when they normally would get on a screen, you kind of have to give them an easy entry where you are right there with them to kind of help them step into this new habit. So like you said, you know, maybe sitting down and reading a book with them or coloring, you're like with them engaging in this activity. And maybe you can only do that for 10 or 15 minutes and that's okay. And then you kind of help them figure out, okay, you know, we read our book together and now, you know, mom needs to go do some work or, you know, whatever it is, the mom needs to get done. And what's something that you might like to do and kind of help brainstorm some options, get a few things out. They might be bored for a while. They might whine for a while, but I promise they will eventually get over it and they will find something to do. You just don't give in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I got this from my mom, but I've definitely said to my kids before when they complain that they were bored, I've definitely said, well, if you're bored, the bathroom needs to be cleaned. Yeah, And then all of a sudden <laughs> they found something to do. <laughs> I love it. Yeah,
0: exactly. There's always some job we can give them, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Screen time, or in limiting screen time, extends to parents as well. What advice do you have for parents in managing their own screen time and setting a positive example for their children? I know that that's like a huge fault of mine. i I grew up reading a lot, and I remember I'm like an older millennial. I remember the day we got internet in our home and mm. you know, the AOL and the dialect. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) you had to listen to. And it fascinated me. I was like, I'm on this message board. I'm chatting with other kids and I'll, I mean, I thought it was like the best thing ever. And it's very easy for me to get sucked into it. And I often will set timers on my phone so that I don't like lose track of time. And especially like Facebook is a huge time suck. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as a parent, especially if you're telling your kids that they can't have as much screen time, you want to model that behavior and set that example. Mm -hmm. But it can be hard if that's how you grew up, just like breaking any generational habits, you know, it's going to be hard to break for you, too. So what are some tips that you have for the parents?
0: Yeah. So again, going back to that family tech plan, that's the beautiful thing about it is that it helps everyone be accountable. It's not just for your kids. It's for you too. And so when we sat down and did this together, you know, one of the first things we talked about is we decided we weren't going to take screens into the bedrooms and bathrooms. And my kids said, well, mom, you do. You take your screen into the bedroom and the bathroom. And I was like, you're right. I do. And so that was what? Six years ago, and I committed at that point that I wasn't going to take my phone or my laptop into the bedroom or the bathroom. And I have done that. I've committed, I've done that for almost six years now, which is hard to believe, but I would never go back. Like, and I think one of the benefits is once you just kind of test yourself and try something, whatever that is for you, that you will start to see benefits and then share those benefits with your kids. And so I tell my kids all the time, like it protects my sleep. You know, I'm not on scrolling on social media late at night. My phone has a bedtime. It goes in the charging station in the office. And, you know, I'm not, I said my posture is better because I remember trying to work on projects on the laptop late at night, at like mm-hmm. 11 o'clock at night. And it's just, and then it it leaves my bedroom like a sanctuary. It's a place for relationships, you know, with my spouse. I'm able to have conversations and get better sleep and rest. And so I think as parents, it's just identifying what are those pain points that I have personally? Like, where am I slipping up? Where do I want to do better? And how could I change that? So like you said, it could be setting limits on your phone. You know, a lot of social media apps now do have reminders. They can remind you when you've been on there for 30 minutes or however long. You can set those reminders up, the controls on your phone. Again, those are functions that didn't used to exist, but they do exist now on screen time or on digital well-being. And then, yeah, I think just committing to something in your family tech plan is really helpful.
1: Love those tips. And I know my iPhone will tell me once a week, like your screen time was up by this percent this week. And it breaks it down for you. Like you spent this much time on Facebook and this much time. Because if it says my screen time is up, but I did a lot of driving. And so Waze was on a lot that's different than you spent like five hours a day on Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. So you can kind of pinpoint your weaknesses and where you're kind of getting sucked in. Yeah, I love that. My husband is 12 years older than me. So from a different generation. And we, we moved in together. He was like, I don't do TVs in the bedroom.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Bedroom is for
1: relationship time. And for me, everyone I knew growing up had a TV in the bedroom. Uh And that was such an odd thing to me to say, well, what do you mean no TV in the bedroom? And I was like, okay, that's not like a battle I'm going to, I care enough about to fight with. So, okay, no TV. And it is the best thing ever. I would never want a TV Yeah. In the bedroom now.
0: Yeah. We don't have one either. Same Mm -hmm. reason, same, but we're probably more of your husband's generation. So
1: that's (laughs) definitely how we were. (laughs) Anytime we go away and we spend the night in a hotel and there's a TV in the hotel room, we end up watching it and get sucked into it. And then we're like, we barely (laughs) talk to each other tonight. So
0: yeah, it is better. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So in today's digital age, online safety, and we've touched on this a little bit, is a concern for many parents We talked a little bit about how social media can impact teens, but when we're thinking about young children, what are some tips for protecting them from inappropriate or harmful content online? Like with everything that's going on in the world today, I know there was just like a global advisory release to take, or so I heard, to take social media off of your kids' phones right now because they may be exposed to a lot of war scenes that they don't have the capacity to process or to understand. And I was just wondering, you know, what tips you have for that?
0: Yeah. Well, again, I'm of the opinion that social media is not for kids. So I think just understanding as a parent that social media is not regulated it's not intended for kids and we're just seeing the harmful effects of that over and over playing out in generations. And you talk to a lot of like new college students, young adults, and they'll tell you, I really wish, you know, my parents would have had more boundaries around my phone and screen because it just really sucked a lot of my life away. And so I think, first of all, just being conscientious of like what your kids have access to and then using filters of course like we have a Griffin router which we really like and we're able to at least filter from the router level that's something that can help but the most important thing really are just the conversations that you have about you know if we see something that doesn't feel right or sit right with us what should we do and really it's like you know we shut the laptop or we put the phone away and we go tell someone we go tell an adult we go tell a parent, this is something I saw. It was disturbing, or it was scary, or whatever. And I think again that just goes back to those conversations that we have in our with our kids, which is in our book, creating a tech healthy family. You know, we go through kind of these series of conversations, and that's a good time for you to let your kids know, hey, come talk to me if you see something's alarming. But again, limiting access in the first place is is really going to be the best way to go.
1: When it comes to teenagers specifically, because this is the age group where I often see this argument being made, whether or not the teenager was already embedded in the social media life and then the parents decided to go tech-free and took that away or never allowed their child to be on social media in the first place. A lot of the times what I'll hear is the teenagers get really upset because all of their friends and their friend group are Snapchatting, making plans on Snapchat And they often fear that they get left out, like they're not invited to a lot of the gatherings because they weren't on the app, whether it's Snapchat or whatever to get that invitation or they miss out on like current events in their friend group because they're not having that conversation and they get like serious FOMO. So I'm just wondering what your viewpoint on that and what would you say to a family who's like, well, I really want my team to get off social media. But every time you try, they get really upset because they're getting left out of their friend group.
0: Yeah, I think it's just first off acknowledging that this is just hard, and that it is going to be hard either way. But we have to make a choice. Like, Do we prefer that our teenager get left out of maybe a few social gatherings? Or do we prefer that they get left out of cyberbullying and online predators and pornography and all those other things that are also on social media? And so I think it's really important to like know your teen and think about, do they know what their values are? Do they really know who they are? As our teens get older, you know, my philosophy is that yes, we do give them a little bit of access bit by bit so we can teach and train and talk to them about it. But for our young teens, for the most part, social media is um there's just so many things that we want them to be left out of <laughs> because they are still trying to figure out who they are. And it's just confusing. And I think thinking about like who are our friends too, and I ask the kids this a lot. And we just talk about this. There's a phrase that says, you know, I'd rather have a few quarters than like a thousand pennies, or I can't remember the exact phrase, but like thinking about, I'd rather have a couple of friends that really have my back and are going to be there for me. And if there's something that's really going on that I need to know about, they'll text me or they can call me if I'm not on Snapchat. Or would I rather I have to have all these followers and friends on Snapchat or any other social media platform who really aren't going to be there for me if I'm having a hard day or something bad happens? Like, I think it's just good for our kids to think about that and think about, well, who are my friends? And if I'm not on a place on social media, can those friends still connect with me through something that's safer, like a text? or through like an app like Marco Polo, that's something that we've used with our younger teens where they're still on an app on a smartphone, but they can just send messages back and forth or not connecting with a whole bunch of people that they don't know, which then is reducing the risks that we're taking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially when you look at what the research shows specifically, or especially I should say, For teenage girls and what happens to their self-esteem and their perception of themselves when they start to use social media. Because again, like having to explain to my kids, like that person's using a filter. That's not what she really looks like in terms of like her skin texture or whatever. She has normal skin texture, just like you and me. Or they're all of a sudden exposed to like all these people that are wearing hair extensions, which I'm not bashing people wearing hair (laughs) extensions, but they're like, why can't my hair be that long? And it's like, her hair's not that long either. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not real. It's it's not real. (laughs) And so if you're a family that is deciding to like limit screen time and apps and social media, but not completely banning it, it's super important to have that conversation of like, again, building critical thinking skills, helping them to realize this is not real Yeah, it's a filter. And even if it doesn't say they're using a filter, they could have recorded it on something else that did use a filter and put it up. Yeah, exactly. Are there any new trends or technologies in the field of screen time management for young children that parents should be aware of? You've mentioned a couple and I will be honest, I have no idea what they are.
0: (laughs) One of the newer ones is AI, which is just artificial intelligence, which has been around for a long time, but it's just starting to be used in new ways. So it's making people wake up a little bit. One of them is people taking basically images of children or teenagers, and then they're able to use a lot of just graphic design skills and AI to replace, you know, parts of the picture so that you might end up with a face of your child or teenager, but they've got a naked body, right? And so that's frightening because it can look very realistic. And whereas before, I think people could tell when something maybe had been photoshopped. And now that there's a really blurry line between what's real and what's not real. And so I think for us as parents, being mindful of what we're sharing, pictures we're sharing, you know, I, interestingly enough, you know, I run a social media account to share this message with the parents and I do share bits of our family. I always ask my kids if I can post a picture of them or even just on my Instagram stories before I share. And I think that's really important, but also just keeping in mind that some of these newer technologies could really be used nefariously. And so we have to remember that. I think that's one of the bigger things. And then of course, there's always new apps coming up all the time. And I just tell parents, and this is what I do in my own home, is like the best person to educate you On these apps or what people are using at school are your own kids and you're Mm -hmm. primarily if you've got teenagers, but just asking the kids, like what apps are kids talking about at school? What are people using? They're going to be your best guides. And I think it's also a way that we build a relationship of trust with our teenagers. You're not trying to get ahead of them because you never will. You're learning with them, you're letting them teach you, but you're also leaning into your own wisdom as a parent. That yes, while you may not know as much about the tech, you know a lot more about life and you also care about your kids more than anyone else. And so at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, you're there to safeguard them and keep them safe. So just have lots of conversations with your kids and don't be afraid to ask them, like, what Mm -hmm. are people using? I think that's the best way to go.
1: Right. And I love your viewpoint because then we have parents on the other end of the spectrum from where you are, like family vloggers who it's so dangerous, in my opinion, and some of our listeners might disagree with me. Don't come for me. This is just my opinion. But, (laughs) you know, now we're seeing the the effects that we're seeing these children who grew up on on camera now turning around and suing their parents for the emotional trauma of having their entire life broadcast to millions of people. And now there's the issue of if you go on TikTok, especially and you, you're following. You know, you you create an account for your daughter for her dance, and it's all like grown men watching your daughter dance in a leotard. Right? There's a reason why that they're watching your daughter dance, and that's not exactly something that you want. And they, and like you said with the AI, they're taking those pictures of toddlers and putting them in AI and turning them into child pornography. Right. So if you are putting your child out on social media. You are risking them showing up in child pornography. So it's just, it's just a bad idea to have. Your it's kids. very
0: tricky. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's it's hard because obviously, like when people are sharing a message, they want it to be authentic. And I know for me, like, that's why at any point, if I share something from our family, I'm like, I want people to see like how it's done. Right. Like, mm-hmm. this is how we do it. but you you just have to be very careful, right? There's a fine line, asking permission, not oversharing, obviously not sharing. There's certain information that you just you know don't want to share. And I think this is different for everyone. But yeah, just being smart about it.
1: Well, this is great. Where can families reach out and find out more about you or connect with you? Yes. Yeah, so our website is betterscreentime.com.
0: So people can find us there. That's where you'll find the quick guide that we talked about to creating a family tech plan. And then ironically, we are also on Instagram as <laughs> betterscreentime.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me
2: today. you, yeah, really you, appreciate Shelley. it. Thanks, Shelley. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make
1: sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through Pregnancy and Beyond, including the Baby Pro group, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.